13. Hold your place of verse 31, and we'll look at that here in just a minute. One of the most rewarding things I've experienced in my 13 years of being a pastor, 10 of those here, uh, by the way, isn't it hard to believe it's been uh, almost 10 years uh, since we have been a church, but uh, one of the most rewarding things I've experienced is when I've been able to come through conflict with someone with the relationship intact, and in many cases with the relationship stronger than it was before the conflict. Now, let me be clear that I do not like conflict. I'm not a person who has ever made peace with conflict. I, I find people that give advice that we just need to embrace conflict, and I, I hear that advice similar to how I would hear the advice to embrace a grizzly bear. I'm just not, not convinced that, that this is something that uh, I can embrace. But when conflict comes into a relationship, it really is rewarding when the relationship survives the conflict, reconciliation occurs, and the relationship continues stronger than before. And I think one of the reasons that this is so rewarding when it happens is because it is so unusual. You know, too many times people bail out too quickly when conflict arises, but when a relationship makes it through, it really is a beautiful thing. And, and friends, within the church, this really is how it ought to work. And that's the way that I think it would work a lot more often if we would be willing to heed Jesus' advice, make that Jesus' command that is given to us in the 13th chapter of the book of John. So today we're continuing our Jesus Speaks series that's going through the Gospel of John and looking at the words that in most of your Bibles will be represented in red letters. Those are the words that Jesus himself spoke. And so today we're looking at 13, 31 through 35, where we're going to read about Jesus giving his followers a new command and one that applies to us today as much as it did those who heard him speak it that day. So let's go ahead and read these verses. Uh, you can follow along in your own Bible, or it should be displayed on the screen behind me. I'll read and you follow along as I do. Here's what it says. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, the next two verses are really where we're focusing our attention today. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's first consider the circumstances and the setting within which Jesus spoke these words. Now, we didn't take time today to read the entire 13th chapter, uh, but it's kind of important for us to understand what's happening earlier in chapter 13 as we consider our text today. At the beginning of chapter 13, uh, we are told that the timing of, of what we're reading about was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that his time to leave this world uh, had come, that he was quickly approaching his betrayal at the hands of Judas. He was quickly approaching the time of his crucifixion. And so the disciples were gathered together and Jesus decided that before he was going to serve them by dying for their sins, that he was going to serve them in another way, a very practical way, by washing 
their feet. Now, lest some of you who have been around the church for a long time, and you remember the days when churches had foot washing services, lest you should decide that we need to return to those days, let it be known that washing feet in Jesus' day was a very practical way to serve someone because people wore sandals and their feet became very dusty and dirty. Now, if you like foot washing services, I mean, no disrespect here. There's nothing wrong with foot washing services. Uh, Just don't try to convince me that because Jesus washed the disciples' feet, we have to wash each other's feet. We're not going to reinstitute foot washing services. If we were going to do such a thing, what we would do is we would find a practical way in our own setting to serve each other. Because washing feet isn't really a a service that we need today. We could have a shoe-shining service. That was much funnier in my head than it was when it came out. So thank you for the few of you uh, who laughed. And if I offended you, I apologize. Uh, So Jesus washes their feet, modeling loving service for his disciples. And he tells them in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So this context of Jesus having just washed his disciples' feet should be kept in mind as we approach uh, the text that we read today. We also need to realize, as I mentioned just a second ago, where we are in the timeline of Jesus' life. He is just about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He is just about to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is just about to endure a sham of a trial and be put to death. He is just about to die for the sins of the world. John 13, 31, where we started reading through 17, 26, comprises what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. And from where we've read today through 1726, Jesus is essentially giving some final instructions to his disciples before he embarks on the events that will lead to his crucifixion and his death. And so from the verses we read, we're focusing on 34 and 35. I want to read those again. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says, a new command I give you. But at first look, it doesn't appear all that new. I I mean, way back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, the command to love was present when God told his people, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had already taught his disciples to love each other. In fact, he had even taught them to love their enemies. But he says that it's a new command he's giving them. So what's new about it? What's new is this. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The command to love isn't new, but the command to love with a kind of love that's modeled by Jesus, that's new. And that really ups the bar on what it means to love. It raises the standard on our understanding of love. Whatever they thought passed as love before that, here's what it really means, Jesus is saying. Love is the way I've treated you. 
you're to love each other like I have loved you. And there's a lot that could be said about the kind of love Jesus had shown them. And I just want to briefly mention three things here today. First, Jesus shows that love is not mere sentimentality. Love isn't simply warm and kind and affectionate feelings towards someone. Jesus' teaching here is after he has washed the disciples' feet, after he has served them in a very practical way. Love as I have loved you isn't about sentimental feelings, though those things are good. It is action. We're to love each other not just in word, but in deed. We are to show our love, not just claim that we love. Love is action. Second, the kind of love Jesus has loved them with is a choosing kind of love. It isn't love based on deserving. It isn't love that is merited. Not one of these followers of Jesus with whom he was speaking were deserving of his love. They had all violated God's commands just like all of us have. They had all been separated from God by their sin just like all of us are apart from Christ. Not only had they been uh, in, in this bad position with Jesus, but they were about to do, some of them, some very bad things. Really, all of them. Uh, but, but specifically, Peter was about to act very dishonorably toward Jesus. He was about to deny in Jesus' most trying hour that he even knew Christ. Of course, Judas was about to betray him. And Jesus knows this. He knows what they are about to do. He knows what Peter is going to do. He knows what Judas is going to do. And he still washes their feet. He still serves them. It isn't sentimentality. It isn't based on merit. As I have loved you means we are to love each other with a choosing kind of love. One of the great things about working through conflict with a brother or sister in Christ is that in order to do that, both people involved in the conflict have to choose to love each other. Their sentiment is something very different. They, they don't have warm and fuzzy and affectionate feelings at the time, but they choose to love rather than to be obedient to their feelings. They decide that the person is valuable enough to work on the relationship and do the hard work of reconciliation. Third, as I have loved you means a self-sacrificing kind of love. Think of what Jesus is facing here. He is about to be betrayed and denied. He is about to go through a, a complete farce of a trial. He is about to die an excruciating death. What it seems ought to be happening in this gathering of disciples, at least to me, is that Jesus ought to be explaining to his disciples what he needs from them in the next few days. He, he ought to be explaining to them how they can best help him during this time. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he picked up a towel in the early parts of uh, chapter 13 and he started serving them in this practical way of washing their feet. Now later in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is going to appeal for their help. He's going to ask them to pray for him and they're going to fail miserably. They're going to they're fall asleep instead. 
He knows they won't come through for him. He knows this. And yet, he still serves them. He still loves them. And so if we're going to obey his command to love each other like he loves us, then we're going to need to practice self-sacrifice. Sometimes that means that even if I'm going through a tough time, facing a difficult trial, I might still need to serve others. I might need to lay aside my own interests, even though my own interests are pretty, pretty heavy and weighing on me, for the interest of others. And so this is what's new about the command. We're to love each other as Christ has loved us. Not sentimentality, not warm, fuzzy feelings, but choosing to love, choosing to act self-sacrificially. So how is that going for us? Now, let me say right here, this is a, this is a church with a lot of people that really do love like Jesus. I, I, I say that with all sincerity. This church, I think, does a great job of loving one another, but each one of us individually need to regularly examine ourselves and say, how am I doing with this? How am I contributing to a culture in the church of really loving one another like like Christ loves us? So let's consider a few questions that would help us to determine how we are doing with that. Are you willing to work through conflict with a brother or sister in Christ in the church? Are you willing to go through conflict to work it out? Or when conflict comes, do you bail out on the relationship? Do you switch home groups? Or do you sit in a different part of the sanctuary? Or now, do you switch to a different service? Love isn't sentimentality. It is choosing. It is self-sacrificing. When everything in us says... I don't want to work this out. I just want to be done with it. Love says, no, this is the right thing to do. And I'm going to do it because this other person is valuable to God. And because they're valuable to God, they're supposed to be valuable to me. They are valuable to me. And if I have to talk myself into it, they're valuable to me. We both belong to Jesus We are part of the same family, and so they're worth going through difficulty for. Here's another question. Are you willing to serve others even when things are going bad for you? Or does every opportunity to serve take a back seat to how you're feeling on that particular day? Here's a third one. Are you willing to embrace those who are different than you? Or do you only have space in your life for my kind of people? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that all 260, 70 of us that call this our church home have to be best buddies with each other. That's that's not possible. None of us have the, the capacity to be best buddies with that many people. But what I would suggest to us is that there needs to be room in our lives for people who are not naturally our kind of people. Because that's what Christ does. He brings us together from all different backgrounds, all different personalities, and he makes us one in him. 
And if you don't have anybody that you're friends with that you wouldn't be friends with apart from Christ, that's a problem. You need to open up room in your life for people who are different than you. Over the past uh, several years, I've had a number of friendships of people that, if I'm honest with you, I would think almost every time I was with them, I would not like this person if we didn't both love Jesus. And yet, because we both did love Jesus, there was enough commonality that I came to really like them, love them, and enjoy their company. They might be quirky as could be, but I actually got to where, you know, in some of these cases where it's like, almost like the quirkier the better, like that kind of made it kind of fun. That should happen in our lives. We should have room for people who are not like us. Another question, do you look at the ministries uh, of a church from the vantage point of how they will benefit you? Or do you consider the ministries of a church an opportunity to love, to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? And so we have to ask ourselves these kind of questions. And if the answer isn't what we know it should be, here's something that we have to remember. Christ never gives us a command, never tells us to do something that can't be done with his help. He never tells us to do something that the Holy Spirit won't or can't empower us to do. So if the answer isn't what it should be, that can change for us. We don't need to feel under condemnation that the answer isn't what it should be, but we just need to go to God Ask for the power to change. Ask for the capacity to obey the command. Ask for the empowering of God's spirit to be able to love the way that Jesus commands us to love. And so we're commanded to love as Christ has loved us. It's not sentimental. It's a choosing self-sacrificial love. And there's something else that I want us to notice from this text today. The command is to love one another. And the context that this is spoken in is a group of Jesus' closest followers. This is not a command to love the world. This is not a command to love the lost. Of course, we are to love the world. We are to love those who are far from God. But that's not what the command here is. This command is to love each other, to love fellow believers. It's an important command. I run into a lot of people today who seem to love the world and despise the church. That's not pleasing to God. That's not pleasing to God at all. It's an important command that we love each other. These followers that Jesus spoke to were not in an affirming culture. They were not going to be celebrated for their faith in Jesus. The surrounding society wasn't going to be supportive of their belief in and obedience to Christ. They were going to be misunderstood. They were going to be mistreated. They were going to be persecuted. They were going to be martyred. They were going to need each other in a way that we cannot yet probably relate to. And so Jesus gives them this command to love one another, fellow believers, not the world, but each other, as he has loved them. Listen, friends, we 
need each other. And in the coming days and years, we are going to need each other even more. During most of our lives, there has been a bit of peace between the church and the culture that we're a part of. In fact, Christianity has been a dominant force within our culture for much of our lives. But we are beginning to see that change. I think we're kind of on the front end of it, but it's moving rather rapidly. And I think it's likely to accelerate. We are going to need each other more than we ever have. Do it alone Christianity has never been a good idea and it's never worked well. But in the days ahead, do it alone Christianity will be revealed as being a completely untenable way to try to live life. We are going to need each other more than we ever have and we've got to be committed to obeying this command of Jesus for the good of our brothers and sisters, but even for our own well-being. We simply cannot be do-it-alone Christians. We're going to need a commitment to each other that is based on real love, choosing self-sacrificing love, because even though we might drive each other crazy, and even though we may come into conflict with each other way more than we want, we need each other, and in the days ahead, we are going to increasingly need each other. Do you believe that? It's absolutely true, friends. Look at verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not only do we need each other, but Jesus says that our love for each other, our love for fellow believers is a witness to the watching world. It's a powerful form of witness that I think we overlook far too easily. According to Jesus... The watching world takes note of how those who take on the name of Christ treat each other, how they care for each other, how they love each other. And what is supposed to be true is that our love for each other, our care for each other is to be a variety of love that the world does not see any place else. But when they see it, They recognize how special it is. They recognize how desirable it is. And it creates in them a desire to experience that kind of love for themselves. In the third century, Tertullian wrote, It is mainly in the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. Gary Burge writes, in the earliest church, the social caring and commitment of Christians to one another was a profound testimony in a Roman world with its sharp social divisions. Nothing so astonishes a fractured world as a community in which radical, faithful, genuine love is shared among its members. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of Sheila White, And I believe we witnessed firsthand the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. So many of you throughout Sheila's illness and during this past week demonstrated true Christian love in the way that you cared for the White family. And I commend you for loving so well. God is pleased with our loving so well. And let us 
in every opportunity that is presented to us, come through and love one another in the way that Christ has loved us. Let's commit ourselves to that today. That we are going to love one another in a way that the watching world will take note of and find desirable. This will mean that we recognize love isn't sentiment. It isn't a feeling. It is something that we choose. This will mean that we recognize that love is expressed through self-sacrifice, acting for the good of someone else, even if it's not convenient for ourselves. This will mean a willingness to work through conflict instead of abandoning difficult relationships. Jesus speaks to us from John 13. He commands us to love one another as he has loved us. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to empower obedience to this command for the good of our brothers and sisters, for our own good, and as a witness to the watching world. Amen? Why don't you stand?